today, as we continue going through our series on making the Christian life work, we're going to be talking about assurance and position. Now, we've kind of touched on position briefly and kind of in passing um, in this series, but this time we're going to be focusing on it and kind of really trying to give a clear explanation of it and how it applies to us. And then assurance, I just couldn't see how I could separate these two things, because if you separate them or twist this in any way, you begin to pervert Scripture. And so let's start with looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, where we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Now, it's important to pay attention to the wording of things. Um, those who study the Greek in the New Testament, which is the original language in which it was written down, um, verbs, uh, participles and verbs, actually are a lot about how you interpret the Scriptures, that with also prepositions. But paying attention to how verbs portray things. And when you read this, you see it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, past tense, we have peace, present tense, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so you see, for a believer, you have been justified again, by faith. And it says that we have peace, present tense, through Jesus Christ. And then it said, again, it goes on, it says, you have an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so the Bible describes a believer, that is somebody who has believed the gospel, they have turned from their sins and have believed the gospel, and they have begun to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in what he has done, not in what they have done, in order to... In, in short, in short, pretty much just saying, to enter into recon reconciliation with God, to be reconciled to God, their sins being forgiven, they become a member of the family of God. It is based on what Jesus Christ has done, not what we have done. It is by faith and repentance of our sins. And so, but it's described as having already been accomplished. So now, there is a big difference between assurance of salvation, that is knowing you are, are saved, and the false doctrine, and I will not apologize in calling that, it is a false doctrine, which is commonly called eternal security. It's also called once saved, always saved. Um, Calvinistic circles refer to it as unconditional election or perseverance of the saints. Some people call it um, the security of the believer. It's semantics. Assurance of salvation speaks of your being saved now and in the present. It has to do with the present. And eternal security or once saved, always saved, tries to promise you that you will always be that way in the future, regardless of anything that you do. Assurance is biblical, the other is not. And the Bible is very clear in the New Testament that you can know that you presently are reconciled to God, that you are you can be assured of your salvation now. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we read, these things I have written to you who believe, notice that, who believe, present tense, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, present tense. 
It does not say so that you may know that you always have eternal life. Now, believers have promises that they belong to Christ. Many of the passages that once saved, always saved advocates use to try to teach their interpretation are actually taken out of context, are misinterpreted, or people simply read into them their own belief. I know because I believed once saved, always saved for years. It was what I was taught. It was what I taught. But once saved, always saved is not the topic of this study. And if you want to go um, for me to talk about why that's unbiblical and kind of give briefly my testimony and go through the arguments for it and explain why they are completely unbiblical, I have uh, uh, lessons or sermons on that on the website page. If you go to the basic, I think it's under the listing of uh, basic doctrinal teachings and stuff. You scroll down, there's three or four, maybe more, um, solid hours of me just talking about that. So, But that is not the topic of what we're talking about, so we'll move on. We want to talk about assurance of salvation. Your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, is based on one thing, the death of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing in all the universe, past, present, or future, that will enable you to be forgiven. Nothing adds to this or takes from this. Let's go through some scriptures to just reinforce that point. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, we read, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, a reference to his death, we shall be saved. Notice the present tense. We are justified in its reference to the past tense, but then because of what this thing happened in the past, there is a mention of the future. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. There's always a, a um, conditional thing there, through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Go on to verse 11, Romans 5. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation or the atonement or propitiation sometimes. The idea that you've been reconciled to God. And I go down to verse 19 of Romans 5. For as through the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, that is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It is through his obedience that you are made righteous. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. How? Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, this is very important to grasp. Everything for your forgiveness has already been accomplished. It's very important. Um, A.W. Tozer um, said that it was, you need to be very careful that you don't back in to your theology, where you see perversions of ideas, right? Like about the Holy Spirit. Right? You see the perversions, the hypercharismatic movement, this rolling on the floor, barking like dogs and everything like that, um, false tongues, things like that, false prophecies. And to not back into saying all these things are not true at all, which is what the Baptist denomination has done for a couple centuries. I know because I was a Baptist and I know their history quite well. 
And so cessationism is a reaction to the abuse of these things. Or because, you know, if you would go back long enough, it's because they didn't have any of them. Um, John Wesley wrote a sermon against cessationism in the 1700s. And so, in the same way, those of us who know you can shipwreck your faith, that you can not continue. I don't like the term lose, because the longer you think about it, it implies that it's like you just lost your wallet. You dropped your keys somewhere and you lost them. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what I say. And that's, it's just not true. But you can't forfeit it. You can't walk away from it intentionally. It doesn't happen accidentally. And so those of us who know that the false doctrine of eternal security is false, we need to be very careful to not forget that, no, you can have assurance of salvation. Salvation is not fragile in the sense that it's just going to stub your toe on a table or something, and then you accidentally say a curse word or something you know, that expresses disgust or something because you're not abiding in Christ or whatever may be the case, and then God's just waiting to smack you with a lightning bolt and kill you and send you to hell. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not New Testament salvation. Of course, neither is eternal security. So you have to be careful to draw the lines where God does, draw the lines where the Scripture does. Stop. Don't just start with an ism. Don't just start with certain cliques, denominations, or schools of thought. That will always lead you astray, inevitably. But Jesus said, it is finished. And the place where this is perverted by once saved, always saved teachers is that they apply this to sins that have not been committed yet. They say that our future sins have already been forgiven. And this is false. That's nowhere stated in the scripture. They say, well, he said all sins, all sins. Well, by that logic, then you can just go ahead and do anything that you want to. And I have heard teachers say this. I have heard them say that. And you will still go to heaven. They say, oh, well, you're already forgiven for that pornography that you watch 20 years from now, even if you never ask forgiveness for it. That is completely unbiblical and is near blasphemous. Now, the point of your salvation is that you have been transferred into a new position from death to life, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. And now this new principle, which is the Spirit of God, you were born of the Spirit of God, is working in you to conform you to the image of the Son of God. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life, and does not come into condemnation, but has passed out of death into life. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it says, in him you have forgiveness of sins. In him is life. Notice the language. There was always that qualifier of in him. Outside of him, there was nothing good spiritually, but death, darkness, and those things, which you were removed from those things when you put your faith in Christ. If you are abiding in that faith, I will say. Now, there is a question that naturally arises from those passages I just read about the phrase, in whom or in him. If our salvation is in him, how do we continue in him? Or how can we have peace if we know that there is a possibility of our not continuing in him. Let me state that again in a different way, or just reemphasize it. There's a lot of people who, whenever they realize the security of the believer 
is not eternal, or is once saved, always saved, is not true. The way in which they teach it, God preserves his children. The question is, who are his children? And so, whenever people realize that eternal security is false because they read the Bible and they get the doctrine from the Bible by actually reading it, and it can lead to insecurity incorrectly. Insecurity is not part of the Christian life. Because whenever they acknowledge that, oh, it is possible for me to fall away. It is possible for me to do all these things and not win the race, or however you want to put it. And that's just not good logic, and the enemy will twist this in your mind. And so you get so caught up with, well, what happens? What happens if I do this? I need to continue to do works. And so you start you start focusing on your works, and so without even realizing it, you begin to be a works-based salvation because you're like, well, I need to make sure that I'm in Christ. Well, how do I do that? By works. No, 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 no. And this the enemy loves to twist in our minds. And so that kind of thing happens when you don't understand assurance and position, which is why a lesson like this is very, very important. Now, the warning to continue or abide or remain in him is mentioned throughout the New Testament and ignored by many people. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. It says, yes, God is able to do these things. He is able to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond approach if you continue in the faith. That doesn't say if you continue and work your way out. We talked about faith and works um, two or three lessons ago. But it says if you continue in the faith and you be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So the emphasis is continue in, in the faith, continue in the belief of the gospel. And it says, and you can have assurance of where you are and where you're going if you continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, present tense, by which also you are saved, present tense, if... You hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And the same thing. You are, you are saved. You are standing in this. If you hold fast in this. And it goes on to say, unless you believed in vain. That is, unless you begin to believe and you start right and you turn away from the gospel, which means it was in vain. It didn't profit you at all because you didn't continue. It's um, the illustration that I commonly use is it's like me saying, well, I decided to, I decided to go to the grocery store. Well, did I? People say, I decided to follow Jesus. Well, that's nice. Did you? Did you begin following Jesus? Are you presently following Jesus? A decision doesn't mean anything if there's no action that follows it. And so people say, well, if I was to say, um, I decided to go to the grocery store and I get in my car and I start heading in the direction that I know leads to the grocery store. As long as I continue towards the grocery store, I know exactly where I'm going. But if I turn aside, I can't have any confidence I'm going to the grocery store. I have turned out of the way that leads there. 
And this is exactly the language of the New Testament. It says, yes, if you—he's talking to believers. There's like, yes, you have believed. You are, you are headed to heaven. You belong to God. You have all the promises of Christ if you continue. It's just the same thing as saying, it's like, hey, if you continue and headed towards the grocery store, you know exactly where you're going. It's the same thing. It's like, if you continue to believe in the gospel, if you continue to ha- walk by faith in Jesus Christ, don't be moved away from the gospel. Don't allow something to come between you and God. You have absolute confidence about where you're going. You know it. It is certain. Why? Because God's word is certain. His promise is certain. That's not the variable. The variable is whether or not you're going to continue to walk by faith in it. Now, the if statements throughout the New Testament make salvation clear. If you continue in him, you have assurance of your destination, of your salvation. The question then becomes, how do I make sure that I am in him? Right? People say, well, okay, I see that I can know that I presently belong to Christ. Right? But how do I know that? How do I, how do I examine myself to know whether or not I am in him? Right? It's a very good question. Well, this very question ties to the idea of assurance to your position. This is where they tie together. Your assurance is based on knowing your position. You can have no assurance of your salvation if you don't know your position. And so you need to know whether or not you are in him. And that's what we mean by position. We talked about this a couple of lessons ago. There's in Adam and there is in Christ. There is in the flesh and there is in the spirit. There is walking in the law and condemnation and death. There is walking under grace where there is life. And so you need to know whether or not you are positionally in him. Now consider the branch in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If... Anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So the description that Christ gives is an analogy of him being a vine, the Father, God the Father being a vine dresser, or a husbandman, one who tends to the vine, and we as believers are like branches growing out of the vine. And he says, if you continue in me, like the branch continues in the vine, you will bring forth fruit. And the husbandman, the vine dresser, will work on you to bring forth more fruit. And he says, but if you don't bring forth fruit, then you're going to be broken off because you're not meeting that whole purpose of it. You're not continuing in me. And that's what the word abide means. from The same Greek word, meno, abide, continue, remain, sometimes live, right? And so as long as the branch is relying on the vine, it will bring forth fruit. You have to focus on the root, not the fruit. If the root is where it needs to be, the fruit will come. So sometimes people get confused about this. But I want you to consider 1 John 2.24. It tells us very clearly how to abide. How to have confidence that we will abide. 1 John 2.24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. That is the gospel. 
if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you retain in your mind, as a conscious choice, your belief in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the only begotten Son of God, then you will abide. And this is the action of the branch. It believes and trusts in the vine. We, as branches, believe in the person of Jesus Christ and trust in his work. And whenever you keep that at the forefront of your mind, you allow that to guide your daily life, how you look at things, the glasses through which you make decisions and observe things in the world, and you interpret it always looking through this prism, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been bought, I have repented of my sins, I belong to God, He is the one that is leading me, and I am leaving the outcome with Him. I have decided to follow Jesus Christ, and that is what I will do, I will die on this hill. That is the work of the believer, to believe in the one whom he hath sent. Now let's talk about position. Christ died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father. Our position, by faith, is in him. We identify with him and are taken through this ourselves. We are spiritually united to Christ and his work by our faith in him. Let's look at uh, some scriptures. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Baptized there being immersed, dipped into Christ, right? Not necessarily talking about water baptism here. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, that is your fleshly body, might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's another passage that mentions this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Notice this part. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So by your repentance and faith in Christ, you have died with him. Your old man is dead. By your being transplanted or trans moved over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, that is your death. You are dying to yourself. This is what happens when you repent of your sins and give yourself to Christ by faith. You say, no, I'm done with all of this. I now belong to you and I die to myself so that I might live unto God. And not only this, you have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. And you have ascended with him to the right hand of the Father. In him, he died, he rose from the dead, and then ascended to the Father. You died to self so that you might walk in newness of life. And now that thing that was keeping you from God the Father has been removed. You are now seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. This is why you can now have direct access to God the Father through Christ, because in him you are there. And don't get too bogged down about that. But this is where it says, if you have died, therefore you can walk in newness of life. And many people, they try to walk in newness of life that they haven't died. They haven't died to themselves. They haven't truly given up their old life. They haven't truly given themselves to Christ in that way. And that's just not how it works. If there was no dying to self and giving of yourself to God, your old life is dead. Let it die so that Christ might work his life in you. And if you are a believer, positionally, spiritually, you already have access to the Father. Hebrews 4.16 Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The throne of what? Of grace. Remember, God working in you that which you cannot do for yourself, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, when do you need grace? When you're tempted? Doubting? Lonely? When you need forgiveness? By faith in Christ, you can come boldly to God and receive this grace. Because you have died, because you have been raised again to walk in newness of life, and because in Christ you already have access to the throne of God. Now, many times, what happens is we get stuck at the cross. We're positionally with Christ, but we struggle to truly accept the fact that we have been forgiven. It's, you believed, you're like, yes, Lord, I believe. And then it's like you struggle to get past it. To truly believe that God has forgiven you because of what Christ has done, not because of what you do. Or you're waiting for a feeling. They say, well, I don't feel forgiven. Well, I don't care what you feel. What did God say? When you begin to stand on what God says, well, yes, examine yourself to make sure that you've truly repented of your sins and you truly have given yourself to Christ. That you're truly only trusting in what Christ has done. Yes, exercise self-examination about those things. But when you know that that's the case, don't get bogged down and be like, no, God said this, and I'm going to stand on it. So we're positionally with Christ, but we struggle to truly accept the fact that we've been forgiven, that your past sins have been forgiven. If you never learn to rest in the work of the cross, 
That is what Christ has done. You will never progress to be raised and walk in newness of life. You'll never get past it. Because you're going to constantly stay in that state of insecurity. Well, did he forgive me? I don't know. And the enemy loves to do this. Many people either don't learn to rest in the cross or what Christ has done or never keep themselves on their own cross. And in the sense of denying themselves, be like, no, when the old man tries to draw, when the flesh, the world system tries to pull you back to old habits and the things of this world, you're like, no, 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 no. I died to that in Christ. I don't need that anymore. I don't want that anymore. I want Christ. And so either you're stuck at insecurity and you can't just rest in that Christ actually did purchase your entire salvation. All that is left for you to do is to receive it. And then just stay in that receiving place before God. And then deny yourself, keep yourself from going back to the old ways of leading your own life. But let God lead your life. Let him be the decision maker. And this is the reason why many struggle with victory. They simply never stay dead. They never let the old man stay dead. It's like whack-a-mole. Every time they try to bop him on the head and he, you know, goes down two, three more, you know, times comes up just as strong. Why? Because you're never going to do it yourself. You need to base your assurance on your position. Your position is based on who you believe on. Remember, biblical faith, James 2, says that biblical faith works. Non-biblical faith does not work. And so you do because you believe. And you leave the outcome with God. It's like, well, I believe in the gospel. Well, he said to do this. Well, why should I do that? Because God said so. I need no other reason. Well, I don't feel saved. I don't care. I believe the gospel and God said to do this. The very fact that you believe means you are a believer. Fruits will come. The results of biblical faith will come. But fruits are the result of your position. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Why? Because it's already done. The same way that whenever you first heard the gospel and accepted it, you repented of your sins toward God and you put your faith in Christ for what he has done, for your justification, for your forgiveness of sins, to be reconciled to God the Father. That same attitude and heart and mind, stay there. Abide in that state before God. And then you will begin to have victory. So the question arises, how do I get past the insecurity of knowing that I may fall away, that it is a possibility Well, even just at the outset, you think about this. How do I get over the insecurity of the fact that I may one day contract cancer and die? Well, we're talking about possibility. And the potential for something to happen does not mean that it will. Even just in the normal course of everyday earthly life, you may walk out to your mailbox and be hit by a stray car. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Even more so in salvation, whenever you have the Spirit of God working to convict you of sin. If you're just abiding in Christ, you're keeping this at the forefront of your mind. It says that if you are otherwise minded, he will make it manifest unto you. Problem is, though, people don't continue to reckon themselves dead indeed into sin and alive to God. 
they allow themselves to be drawn away from the fact that God is the one to define their lives. God is the one to lead their lives. All their ambitions, their hopes, and everything, they lay it at God's feet. Lord, your will be done, not mine. And whenever the old man, your selfishness, your self-will that seeks to go about and do its own thing apart from God, that is whenever you are going to be led astray. That is whenever you are in place of danger. But consider what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard or keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. If you are walking with Christ daily, you know that God is able to keep you. The question is not whether or not God can keep you. Consider 1 Peter 1.5. Talking about believers, it says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How are you protected? You are protected by the power of God. You are kept by the, by the power of God through faith. So the question is not whether or not God can keep you. God is well able to keep you. The question is not whether or not God is willing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32, we see, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God offered you reconciliation to him whenever you were an enemy of his. God made it possible before you were even aware that there was an issue. God is willing. God is more than willing. And it says God is for us. So the question is not whether or not God can keep you. He absolutely can. The question is not whether or not God is willing to keep you. He is absolutely willing to keep you. The question is whether or not you are truly entrusting your life to Christ. You can't give God your future, your eternity, without giving him your present. That's just not how it works. You need to make sure, am I actually entrusting my life to Christ? So do you, do you use God for your own ends? You know, just to stay out of hell? Well, that's using God as a means to an end that you you desire. Or have you given it to God, saying, Lord, use me for your means? Is he your first priority? Or a hobby you have time for sometimes? Is his word the things that settles all things for you? Or do you look for loopholes? Are you just... Finding something in Scripture to verify what you want sometimes. Or is his word the guiding point? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. By the words of the Lord, we have kept ourselves on the path of the destroyer, Scriptures say. Do you allow him to search you, to test your heart? Or do you avoid it because you like your life your way? In fact, the matter is, if it's your life... It's not his. So here's some questions. Are you resting in the work of the cross for all of your salvation? Are you trying to supplement your salvation with service and works? To be like, well, I need to prove that I love God. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be more pleasing to the Lord, in gratitude, seeking to do something to please the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're not trying to do it to assure yourself that you belong to Him. That's when you get into danger, or to prove that you belong to Him. Well, and there's, you need to be careful in the wording of some of these things. 
Is there an area of your life where you are intentionally trying to not let God in? Personal life? Hobbies? Um, future? Like retirement? Where you work? Where you live? Relationships? Who you marry? Who you're dating? How you raise your kids? What their hobbies are? Is there an area of your life where you are intentionally trying to not let God in? That's just not how the Christian life works. You will always struggle and fall. God will bring you to a point, start dealing with something, and he will let you struggle with it until it's dealt with. So God's not the one who casts anybody away. He says he was in no wise cast people out to those who are coming to him. But he will let you turn away from him and walk away. He's not going to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven. So by way of practical application. In fact, let me reemphasize something because we kind of passed over it quickly and I wanted to emphasize it. We talked about it, I think, last time and a couple times in the past, maybe. Your fruit is the result of your position, of where your faith is. And I like the illustration of, let's say you have an orchard, right? A grove of trees, something like that. And in the middle of this orange grove, you have an apple tree. And you're like, you're like, oh, well, how do I change this? How do I get this apple tree to be an orange tree? And so you ask somebody, and they're like, well, what's what's an orange tree? And they say, oh, well, it's got oranges hanging off of it. It's got kind of leaves that kind of look like this. It's about yay tall, yay wide. Um, the bark kind of looks like this. That's an orange tree. And so what you do is you go to the apple tree, and you're like, all right, I need to make this an orange tree. So you take off all the apples, you take off all the leaves, you start like stapling leaves that you try to make yourself that are at, look like orange leaves. You, you kind of carve out the bark to make it look like orange bark, all sorts of things like that. And you and you start like just gluing stuff on. You try to shape it to look like it. You're like, oh, and somebody comes up and says, what are you doing? And like, look, I made an orange tree. See, it's got oranges on it. It's got leaves that look like this. It's about this wide, this tall. The bark kind of looks like this. And they're like, that's not how it works. An apple tree will produce apples. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside. It's the nature of the thing. How do you know it's an apple tree? Because it produces apples. You can't make an apple tree into an orange tree. Unless you could change its nature. And it's the same thing about fruits in your life, your works. It's the nature of what you, of what you are. If you are a believer, your position is in Christ and your nature has been changed. There is a principle that has been introduced, the Spirit of God in you, that can begin to work in you the works of God. And this is very important for you, because sometimes people confuse the description of what a Christian is with how to become one. They say, well, what's a Christian? Oh, they read the Bible, they go to church, they pray, right? And so somebody's like, well, I want to be a Christian, so I'm going to read my Bible, go to church, and pray. That's not how to become one, though. Now, some of those things, yes, reading your Bible especially, it can lead to you becoming a Christian. But that by itself does not do anything. There is something that happens between you and God, an exchange that happens. Repentance of sin toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. So do not confuse the description of what a Christian is. One who walks a certain way, talks a certain way, does certain things, does not do other things. Do not confuse that with how to become one. There is only one way to become a Christian, and that is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. 
is very, very important to your assurance and walking. So practical application. Refresh yourself with an appreciation of the gospel. It is finished. Spend time thinking about this. All things pertaining unto life and godliness have been given us because of what Christ has done. And any time you begin to feel yourself being drawn away from that fact, no, 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 no. Focus back on it. It is finished. Jesus has done all of it. Next, learn to rest in Christ's work. When you get that insecurity, you know, struggle it out. Resist the temptation to get insecure about these things. I mean, yes, self-examination, right? Examine yourself. Bring every area of your life to Christ and give it to Him. Let God search you and test you. If there is something that is contrary, if God is convicting you of something, or you become aware of it, give it to Him. But learn to rest in Christ's work for your salvation. Next, never be satisfied with sin in your life, no matter how small. You don't have to. And don't believe anybody who says you have to. That person is not doing you any good. It's one of the problems with human psychology. Everything that's actually sin is just called a disorder. Seek purity. Pure means to be without mixture. God says you can have victory over every sin. Yes, make sure that you're not confusing preference with sin in those things. Draw the lines where God draws them in the scriptures. But do not ever be satisfied with sin in your life. You don't have to be. Next, be obsessed with Jesus Christ. Make him the purpose of your life. You know, no Bible, no breakfast, no prayer, no playtime. God is first. This is the bit the Father's business. You know, let's be about the Father's business. It's about Jesus. And when you are sure that you are not practicing sin and you have a clean conscience, you can assert your position. I am in Christ. I know it. Not because of works of righteousness that I have done, but because of Him. Because I have given everything to Him. I know that I'm examining myself daily. I'm allowing God to search me and try me and test my heart. And when He convicts me of something, I give it to Him. I repent of it or I get it right with Him. And I'm examining my relationships around me. Everything. And you're like, when that is the state of your daily life, you'd be like, no, I am in Christ. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.